This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queens College in the City University of New York. For more, visit theannexpodcast.com. So another item uh, on our to discuss list comes from uh, an email that we got from Danelle Butler about uh, a Pew report that uh, came out trying to discern the exact timing or the exact barrier between Generation X and the Millennials. Who are the Millennials was the, I guess, what what this report was trying to get at. No, no, no. It was the other way around. It was trying to distinguish uh, Millennials versus Right, right, right. Excuse me. Not, not that it matters. It doesn't matter. Trying to distinguish between a unicorn and a man. Well, yeah, and then I think the I think the uh, first shot against that in sociology Twitter was Karen Healy, who was just <laughs> saying, "Come on, Pew, like this is bunk stuff." But is it bunk stuff? What What do you guys uh-huh. think about these generational theories? Uh, the uh, the Gen Xs, the Millennials, the Baby Boomers, and all that. Is that something that you 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 think there's something to it, or is it just bunk? Well, maybe it's just because I'm a cynical Gen Xer, but I think it's worth <laughs> shit. Uh, so, and, and I mean, I distinctly, and, and I say this as like somebody who used to think it was cool, and then I kind of learned it wasn't. So, like um, when I was in high school, I remember reading an article either in the New Republic or the Atlantic uh, by Howard Strauss, who were the guys who coined the term millennial, and it was talking about, like all about what millennials were going to be like because they had this elaborate dialectical theory of cohort replacement where it's like basically every generation they said that there were like cycles of like three or four generational types and every generation reacts to not be like its parents and so you end up getting this you know repeating cycle that goes all the way back to the english civil war and um and so based on that they made this prediction that um you know the millennials would be like very much like go-getters who like kind of like put their noses to the grindstone and just worked and you know just worked hard and didn't really complain about things and it was almost exactly the opposite of the generational stereotypes (laughs) we have of them now so uh you know regardless of whether the you know their prediction was right um or uh the stereotype is accurate either way um it's just kind of interesting like how far off the mark they were of the stereotype and given that like the currency that they had and that you know they were all these magazines and they had best-selling books and all sorts of marketing people bought them you'd expect it to have been true at least in a performative sense right if you have a theory that everybody reads it should become true but that the mm. theory that everybody re- read and bought into failed to become true shows what a god-awful theory it was that it couldn't even be true, be true performatively um and and then just in general, if you look at survey data, there, there's no such thing as like cyclical cohort effects. I mean, cohort effects tend to be monotonic and gradual. The only attitude I'm aware of where you do see kind of an up and down pattern is abortion. Aside from that, everything's basically monotonic, right? It just goes in one direction. Um, and you definitely don't see, you know, big uh, discontinuities, right? I mean, cohort change is gradual, and there's no big difference between somebody born in 1979 and somebody born in 1981 because the person born in 1979 is a late Gen Xer and the person born in 1981 is a millennial, right? They're, they're, they're basically both people born around 1980. 
Yeah, yeah. Just that, um, you know, I think as sociologists, no matter what we study, like we can all agree that categorizing a continuous variable without an extremely good reason <laughs> is really dumb. Yeah. And we can agree with that full stop. Yeah. The idea that like I, if I'd been born six months earlier, I'd see the world around me with a Gen X lens of sarcasm yeah. or irony, um, you know, is Honestly, it sounds like astrology telling me that if I'm born on a certain day, I'm a Scorpio and I'm not a Sagittarius. But let me say that I was technically born in 1981. Uh -huh. And so I'm in this newly concretized pew definition of a millennial generation. Yeah. And so as the token millennial, I think on the podcast today. I'm already finding you insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> yes my just sincerity and enthusiasm is coming through um you know i do want to just say maybe part of me feels like this is another case of sociology being a wet blanket yeah. mm -hmm. like i yeah. get it this is what we do for our jobs mm -hmm. right like we create precise instruments of measurement of the social world um but i want us to kind of like also be receptive to the fact that there are non-sociologists making observations right they're like formulating patterns, trying to seek order out of chaos. And so um, it could be, right, that there's a sort of spidey sense out there that millennials are their own thing. And so I want to remain, like, open to the idea of the exceptional millennial while, you know, like, still sort of having our, our, our keen sociological focus on it. Well, so, so, now, so this is what I will say about this, right? I mean, you know, I'm going to be kind of a wet blanket, um, but also at the same time say I I think that, I mean, there's something very functional about having this millennial group, you know, be made more concrete. I mean, if you think about it, like I think about millennials um, and Gen Xers and baby boomers, et cetera, the same way I think about tweens, right? They're not really a thing, right? But they are a thing and very useful for marketing purposes, right? The same way, you know, sort of creating, a, you know, the group has Hispanic also then gives you this big, you know, market, you know, this big, you know, market to sell stuff to that you think and you decide they want, right, as a collective group. And so in some ways, I think it, it is useful, right? You have this idea that millennials are this way and they watch this kind of thing, right? You know, just, you know, you take surveys and you see the average millennial likes this. And so you say, this is what millennials like, Well, right? And yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, you're getting to the point that even if boundaries are arbitrary, you need boundaries if you need to make decisions on the basis of categories. For instance, if we don't have a strict definition of millennials, we won't know who to send to Gitmo. <laughs> no, but okay, but hold on. So, uh, yes, we know that things exist along a continuum, and we know that cohort changes are gradual, but in social science, we always sort of discuss things, uh, we always characterize uh, uh, continua in uh, in sharp categories, and they're ideal types, right? And what do you think about the possibility that somebody who was born with the internet always existing has a qualitatively different worldview or a life experience from someone who had never grown up with the computer in the home? And that, yes, maybe that it's silly to put a sharp boundary on it, but these are ideal types, and maybe there are qualitative, you know, big picture cohort differences or long-term cohort differences. Nita, how old were you when you got uh, access, got an email address? 
Ooh, so we're talking like AOL yeah. dial-up. Um, I was probably like maybe 11, Okay, 12-ish? so I was like 14 or 15, and it was also AOL dial-up, which makes sense because I'm about five years older than you. So, or th- mm-hmm. three or four years older than you. So what's the difference there, right? So Nita's experience is basically the same as mine, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm four years older than her, give or take. And um, now in contrast, you know, um, someone who's currently 26 years old, right, who's, uh, you know, if you buy the Pew definitions as part of Nita's generation, then um, that person probably had an email address very young and, um, you know, had a computer very young and that sort of thing. So it, 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 I, I would s- submit that Nita's childhood experiences are basically the same as mine. Um, mm-hmm. and very different from someone, you know, she's at the early end of her quote unquote generation. And I'd say she has more in common with me, somebody at the late end of my quote unquote generation than she does with somebody at the, you know, who's 15 years younger than her, but theoretically mm-hmm. part of the same bin. So I, I mean, I, yeah, but you're both sort of sitting near the boundary of two generations, right? Yeah, like, but that's why like, boundaries don't work. Okay. Like, hard I, boundaries don't, but like, is a kid who grew up after 9-11 like i have students now uh they have no conception of what it was like to experience the cold war they have no conception of what it was like to live you know in america before 9-11 let's say they uh, they probably have a qualitatively different worldview or, or things that seem abnormal to me seem perfectly normal to them don't you think there are maybe they're not drawing the boundaries correctly but do you think there's a possibility that these types of generational uh, differences exist, but you know we can't pin them down with any. Um, I I think uh, I think some of these generational differences do exist, but you know at the same time, I mean, like you know the sorts of examples that have been brought up. I mean, I think someone who lives in a rural community here in the United States who would be labeled a quote unquote millennial, right, has a very different experience than someone who's designated a millennial, like, you know, who grew up in San Francisco or in New York, right, Um, or in Atlanta. And so the other thing that I worry about is that the things that we look for in millennials are things that, once again, we're looking for in people... um, who aren't necessarily representative, not ju- of not just of a country, you know, but you know, but also of mm. the world. Well, so I mean, like, I like your Manhattan that, intern who's lazy. Well, so <laughs> I, I think Leslie has a point there, where um, there are cohort effects. I, I don't think that there's cohort effects that you can divide into, you know, fifteen or twenty year bins, um, but there are cohort effects. You know, growing up broadly speaking, during the Cold War is a different experience than growing up, broadly speaking, after 9-11. And with the exception of the kind of things that you could plug into like a regression discontinuity, um, you know, so, so I do think that there could be kind of like sharp discontinuous cohort effects if there's some type of policy change that comes into effect, you know, for people with a certain birthday and people born one day earlier literally experience a different policy environment than people born one day later. Um, but with the exception of that, I, I don't think you have generations. I think you have cohort effects, and they're continuous. And then, like Leslie was saying, it's just one aspect of people's identity. And you know, rural, urban, black, white, Latino, Asian, uh, male, female—these types of things can have bigger effects 
than uh, cohort effects. And, you know, I mean, there might be one brief period where cohort effects were stronger than basically anything else for determining attitudes on uh, gay marriage. But aside from that, I think uh, cohort effects are going to be weaker than basically anything else. Yeah, it's probably totally bunk. I mean, I, I, I read articles about people describing millennials today, and it reads almost exactly like similar pieces that I remember reading about Generation X when I was coming up. It's basically these, uh, this is like the old man yells at cloud type of uh, yeah. industry. <laughs> but you know, what I appreciate about this old saw that like gets brought up over and over again is, is for me, it takes me back to intro to sociology, you know, that it's about sort of the sociological imagination, C. Wright Mills, that all of this is about the intersection of biography and history, right? Personal troubles, public issues. And so every time we rehash the millennials argument, it does remind me, right, that so much of we're seeing around us is this interaction of like what is the history that we're born into and the kind of time period in which we're coming of age and then all of the different sort of um, smaller facets of our personal identity markers that are shaping what that broader historical moment you know is sort of doing you've been listening to the annex a sociology podcast For more information, visit theannexpodcast.com. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our production team included Anika Chowdhury and Lisette Moreno. On behalf of the Annex team, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.